So today, if you want to open your Bibles up to Romans 8, uh, I'm going to be starting at verse 12 today. Uh, once someone finds it, if they want to shout out the, uh, the page number, that would be great. Um, but what I've been doing over the last, uh, to be honest, quite the last year, has been trying to figure out and grappling with what on earth does, does the Bible actually have to say to me in, in my situation? What number is it, Frank? 787 is the page number, for, if you can't find it. So I've been trying to grapple with this question of what does it actually mean for me? How do I take the truth that's in the Bible, uh, the guidance, the instruction, and then apply it into my situation, my personality, and you know my life, because it's different to everyone else's. And what does it mean for me to be authentically me, but also authentically Christian? So 100% me, the kind of obnoxious, uh, boundary pushing, doesn't like authority, quick to anger, uh, but also fiercely loyal, a bit of a dreamer, come up with uh, ideas, look at the bigger picture but I'm rubbish at detail. What does it mean for me to be 100% me, but also 100% Christian? Because the Bible isn't about uh, some kind of blueprint guidance of, you know, do X, Y and Z and you will be the perfect Christian. Otherwise, we'd all have checkered shirts, dubious beards, and drink posh coffee that, if we're honest, we can't taste the difference, but pretend that we do. But, well, so there must be something more to this, to this Bible, than, than that. There must be a way that we can take it and grapple with it and apply it into, into our lives. Because I think there's some fundamental truths uh, in, in the Bible that we, we all kind of sign up to, but often... Jesus talks about uh, what can only be described as virtues, really, um, of sort of ways of living. So when it says, love your neighbour, what does that mean? You know, it's not a, a specific instruction that you have to make them a cup of tea every morning. It's love your neighbour. So how Matt does that is very different to how I do that, how Sarah and James do that. It's all different. So it's taking the kind of virtues of the Bible and grappling with it and applying it in our Situation in our workplaces, in our families, because it will look different for all of us. So, I think it's important that we do this. Um, first of all, you know, just so that we can understand how we work and how it applies to us, but also so then we can really get to grips with the truth of it. So, after this, I'd actually advise you know taking it and the the idea and applying it to different areas of your life. And, you know, what does it look like in work? And what does God say in this? Or even make up scenarios. So if you were to move city, what would it look like? If you were to move country, what would it look like? If you were to be in a different financial situation, what would it look like? If you had loads of money, if you were homeless, what would it look like? So I've been doing this over the last year with, with a lot of different stuff. But today we're looking specifically at, at Romans. Uh, and this great piece of scripture um, in Romans 8. And it's kind of a simple approach. We're going to unpack the verse a bit. Today, then, we're going to look at some of the, the theory of actually modern psychology and how we think so that we can apply, uh, we can start to think how the Bible interacts with that, and then look at some uh, just kind of practical approaches of what we can do. So, uh, Romans 8, starting at verse 12. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh, to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of your body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you would live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about 
the adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And we're going to be concentrating particularly on that, verse 12 and verse 15. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh. And then verse 15, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. So I love this verse. I think it's an absolute cracker. The great verse scripture. In fact, the whole of Romans 8, I just advise go reading it. It's, you could spend years on it. It's, it's so profound in some of its truths um, that you really, honestly, a bit of free advice gets stuck into that. But what I love about this verse is, is how it's phrased. It's not a simple, do not be afraid. It's actually getting at something much deeper. It says, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. It does, the key thing there is, does not make you slaves to it. So say, Johnny, I'm picking you because you're wearing a Northern Ireland shirt, and it just so happens you look like the chap on the screen. <laughs> You shouldn't sit there. So anyway, <laughs> say Johnny turned up to me uh, and says, Gav, I've been getting increasingly afraid uh, of what people think of me. I'm starting to overthink everything. And to be honest, it's just getting easier if I avoid social situations. So Johnny's come to me and said that. If I turned around to Johnny and said, dude, have you not read the Bible? Don't be afraid. And that was it. How do you think that would make Johnny feel? Do you think it would work? Would he walk away feeling better about himself? In reality, probably not. Because the reality of things is, he does feel afraid. The the emotion of fear is absolutely real to Johnny. It's not something that he can simply switch off by saying, oh, I'm not supposed to be afraid. Great. The good news is, the verse isn't actually saying that. It's saying that you are not a slave to that fear. Verse 12 says, you have, you do not have, or you have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh. It is not to that fear. You do not have to live in it. It's almost an instruction. Don't be a slave to it. The Bible doesn't promise us that fear will no longer exist when we become a Christian. It says that you don't act, have to act just because it says so. It's not the boss of you, you don't have to do what it says. So how different would it be if Johnny came to me and said, Gav, I've been getting increasingly uh, worried about what people think of me. And uh, to be honest, uh, it's just easier to avoid social situations. If I turned around and said, Johnny, do you know what, buddy, that's all right. Fear's a natural part of, of, uh, of life and sometimes we all feel it. It's not wrong to feel it, but let me speak some truth of God into you. You are not controlled by that. You have no obligation to act because of it. You are not a slave to fear. How do you feel, Johnny? So much better, Gav. So much better, great. <laughs> In scenario one, Johnny probably went away uh, feeling a bit bad about himself, if we're honest. Worse over the, the advice that I'd given him, because it gave the impression that he was actually acting uh, against the Bible, because the Bible says don't be afraid, and he's afraid, so he's a bad Christian. That, that's the potential that those kind of words can have. But in reality, the Bible's not saying that. It's saying, yeah, you feel fear, but 
by the way, you don't actually have to let that control you. You can say no. It's almost a permission thing. You can say no, that you don't, have, that you don't want to act because of it. Have you ever been told that, have you ever actually just been told that, that you're not controlled by it? We all feel fear in life, I feel it every day. But have you ever been told that, that you don't actually have to act because it says so? So at this point I just want to pray, um, actually four people in fear, um, and we'll pray a, a few times throughout this, um, just so that we can sort of ask God to help us cement in that truth. Uh, of, uh, that we are not controlled by fear. So God, I, I just thank you for um, the truth that you've put in, in, in the Bible here that says that we do not have a spirit that makes us a slave again to fear. So God, for people in this room that uh, are feeling fearful, that, that feel like fear's got control of them, um, I pray that you just give them the confidence to take you at your word here and say, you know what, I do not have to act because of that. Amen. But God doesn't just leave it here. He doesn't leave us simply with an instruction not to do something. He doesn't leave us with a, by the way, you don't have to, don't have to act uh, on what fear tells you. He actually goes one step further and speaks truth into who you are. In this case, you're not a slave to fear, but you're actually a child of God. And it's important for us as we think about fear... It's not just to try and not let uh, fear control us, but it's to actually let God speak into that. The truth and depth of what it means to be a child of God is, is rather profound, but to the core of our identity. It's an identity that has our foundations in God. And if God is love, then our identity sits 100% firmly rooted in love. So instead of operating out of insecurity and jealousy, I actually operate out of love and acceptance because that's what I've received from God first. Being a child of God means that we don't have to work to earn God's love, but actually we just have his acceptance as the starting point. It means that our deepest and longing desires that can't be satisfied uh, on this earth are found in the presence of God. It means that people aren't objects just to fulfil our goals, but we love them because we were loved first. We don't get our identity through material possessions, physical appearance or activities. We get our identity from the acceptance that God has given us. In this passage, God speaks out against fear and replaces it with a message of love. He's actually giving us the very antidote for fear. So, Johnny here... Fear is still very much a real thing. It hasn't gone away. But what God's word tells us is that there is a barrier there that we can say, no, I do not have to act uh, under the obligation of that fear. And actually it's replaced with, let me fight back with that with some love. You know, I'm, I am a child of God. My identity isn't by what fear tells me. My identity is what God tells me. So again, I, I want to pray for that. And if you're in that situation, maybe you've, you're already acting against fear, but actually you need to feel that confidence uh, that, that you are a child of God. So God, I pray for everyone here. And I thank you again that we don't have to act uh, just because fear tells us to. 
And I thank you, God, that, that you have actually adopted us into your family. That our identity is found firmly in you. That we are founded, 100% rooted in love. So I pray for people here, God, that they, that they know that today. And that they can feel that uh, in a very real, tangible way. Amen. Great. So, this is what God says. So let's have a look at what we know about ourselves from a modern psychology point of view. Um, It's something that, in in my job, I I look a lot at what makes people tick. And in in a sense of how we can get better or more performance out of people in an organisation. In a nice way, not like a management consultant way that you, you know have to use the whip to try and get people to work harder but actually if you can create a culture where people want to work for they will perform better so I, I, I work a lot around looking at how people makes people tick so this psychology stuff fascinates me um, but there's a I want to look at one particular aspect there's many aspects of fear out there but one very particular aspect of it that if I'm honest is also often quite subtle in how we act but it is very much a real thing that is ingrained into every single one of us um, and this, it's this idea of fear of the other. So being afraid of others. I'm sorry, I don't want to my one hand. Other. Fear of the other is ingrained into every single one of us. A defining characteristic of human society is its tribalism. It's a tendency to gather in groups which define themselves by certain common characteristics and differentiate themselves with other groups or individuals who don't share those characteristics. And in fact, it's often a a universal trait. Uh, Take dogs, for example. They travel in packs. Uh, This is in the wild. Uh, You know, you you haven't seen your little pug running around in packs when you're sleeping or anything like that, as much as Freddie would love that. But they travel in packs and they defend their packs. Whether it's simple competition for scarce resources or to defend those that they consider in their pack, they are very much alert to the intrusion of others into their territory. When walking, if you've noticed, uh, dogs are obsessive about marking the perimeters uh, of what they perceive to be their territory. Uh, They will bark warning and ruthlessly attack other dogs that approach or intrude. These are wild dogs. Obviously, when they're kept by humans, that's something that's been trained out of them, but the instinct is still there, so they go after the postman. They, uh, if a neighbour approaches that they're not, they're not sure about, the dog jumps up, starts barking, because it is defending its pack, the family, uh, and we'll do, uh, it's its automatic instinct to defend that pack. And this is very much a, a human trait as well. You know, whether we explain it by evolution, uh, or competition for scarce resources, uh, natural causation, or sinfulness. The simple truth is that we do it all the time. We define what is us and what is the other. People identify with the, the groups that they are part of and are suspicious or fearful of those who don't belong to those groups. So this tribalism is true in countless dimensions from income to accents to the north-south divide uh, to you know your ethnicity your sexual activity uh, religion even down to trivial matters like sports teams hobbies or musical tastes 
Across the world, we perceive safety in that which is most like us and danger in that which is different. Now, at its best, fear of the other actually protects us from potential danger. It's an important part of how we operate. It stops us from blindly trusting everyone. Uh, It keeps us cautious. In our children, we teach this as stranger danger. Um, But at the slightly overdone, when we can't overdo this tendency, at the slightly overdone form, which is really common in society, uh, it's a built-in tendency that we segregate. Uh, And fear of the other can lead to cliques, uh, gossiping, isolation, banter, in the inverted comments, uh, the preferential treatments, favouritism, discrimination, uh, or bullying from the in-group. While on the other side, the out-group can feel marginalised, lonely, unwelcome, worthless, undervalued and unloved. At the far end of this fear of the other, We have extreme nationalism, racism, xenophobic attacks, sectarianism, terrorism. In fact, just turn on your TV and you'll be overwhelmed with news stories about fear of the other. Whether or not it's hate crimes against EU nationals since the Brexit vote, or shooting of black men by white officers and white officers by black men, or terrorists attacking civilians in the name of their god, or honour killings of women who stand against the culture, news stories every day to the, to the point we're not even surprised anymore, if we're honest. You know, it's still shocking, absolutely, but is anyone actually surprised anymore when you turn the TV on? It's so ingrained in who we are as a people and a society. It's a natural tendency to create tribes, to segregate ourselves, to put up borders. And it's important we know this because it impacts how we behave. It's important... To, to know what is natural part of our body and the way we are wired because the impact can often be in such subtle ways that it's hard to see. Gossiping, it's such a subtle thing and it's so common and often accepted in our society that it's hard to see where that comes from. And it's only when we know it can we do something about it. Subtle can be dangerous. You know, God talks about um, that, that the devil doesn't cut or comes like a thief in the night. You know, he doesn't come and knock on your door and kick the door down and just mess stuff up. It's often in really subtle ways that we can be led away and led astray. So it's things like the softer sins, Colin. Fear of the other of you know, racism and murder and attacks. That's a major thing. And please, I hope none of you are doing that. <laughs> please stop it. <laughs> you are. Like, I have to say it, you know. Um, but actually, it's the, the softer stuff of the forming cliques, of marginalising people, of, of bullying, of, of gossiping. These are the softer things that this fear of the other actually raises up in us because we want to protect us and protect our groups and protect our, our, our place in society. Growing up in Northern Ireland, I watched communities in, like, entrenched in the fear of, of the other that had been reinforced for generations to the point where I don't actually think many people in general society knew really what was going on. It was just an entrenched thing that, that you grew up knowing, like that was, that was just life. But it's, this is where we can, we can actually ask God to speak into how we act. Because we don't have a spirit that makes us a slave to that fear. It doesn't mean that fear will go away. But we have a spirit as an adoption of the Son of God so that we can act in love against that fear. And the good news is, 
the Bible and modern psychology actually complement each other. So we've talked about that God says you don't have to act in that way, you can act in another way. And psychology tells us that we can actually start to rewire our brain to, to make uh, decisions easier in the future. So take for example, I don't want to have this piece of cake, I absolutely do want to have this piece of cake. But I know that it's not good for me, so I choose option A, which is the good option of I won't have this piece of cake. Next time, when it comes to choosing about that piece of cake, because we've made a previous decision of not having that cake, it makes it easier for our brains to choose that next time. And vice versa, if we choose to eat the cake, it makes it easier to choose to eat the cake next time, and, and so forth and so forth, until I've had all the cake in the world. Which is probably quite uh, a possibility. But it's something that that we can actually rewire. So when God tells us, you don't have to act in that, you can act in a different way. Modern psychology tells us, that's absolutely right. You don't have to act in that way, you can act in another way and actually rewire yourself to act uh, that way in the future. So it got me thinking, is there a way that we can take, like we, we can sort of process our natural tendency and bring it into the light so that we can let God speak into it um, so we can choose then our, we can then choose our action and rewrite our natural tendencies and natural reactions in the future. So what I've done is created a very simple model to process fear. I love a good model, and it's a very simple tool. I reckon a five-year-old could use this. They could probably uh, explain it as well, um, but it just helps us focus on. Uh, a particular issue that we may be facing and gives us an approach to tackle it. So it's a very simple approach. So what we, we just sit and we take a, a, a scenario and we say, what is fear saying? In this scenario, what is fear saying to me? Then we say, what is God saying? What, what does God have to say into this, uh, into this scenario? And then from that we can say, okay, what is my response going to be? So, I'm going to give a couple of scenarios as we'll work through it. Um, so, first one. Someone new comes into the church. And the group that you're part of in the church is really into music. You love being part of this group, going to gigs, discussing the latest uh, trends and tunes, etc. I don't know those. I, unfortunately, I have my father's taste in music, which is like meatloaf and Dixie Chicks. Um, but... So modern music isn't my thing, but so I wouldn't be part of that group. Um, the new person is really into their football. It's obvious because no one turns up to church wearing a Nottingham Forest football shirt if they're not really into football. Or, or I actually use Johnny. No one turns up in a Northern Ireland shirt if you're not really into football. Um, you know you should go talk to them, but something holds you back. And it's not the Northern Ireland Church. So let's look at this. In this moment, someone new comes into the church, you're part of this group, you're really tight-knit, you're close, you like all the same things. Fear tells you, this fear of the other and this natural tendency tells you that they're a bit different. And different is strange and different is scary. Fear might tell you that they're going to come in and disrupt the friendships that you've got. Maybe they're going to come in and other people are going to like football and... Uh, and maybe, and you not really like football, and that's going to be a bit of a, you know, like cause, causation of tension in the group. And I don't really want to have to sit and talk about football, and neither does Dave. And 
Well, maybe I can hang out with Dave instead. No, but fear tells you that that, that is different, and different is scary, and, and, and therefore you should protect the group that you've got, because the group that you've got works, and, and you shouldn't do anything about it. So poor Johnny gets left on his own. What God says into that situation is actually, Johnny's a child of God's. And by the way, Gav, I love you, and you, you're actually founded in, a, in, a, in the foundation of love, and I first loved you. So what you should be actually going to do is welcoming Johnny into the group, liking him for who he is, because football's an okay thing, and getting to know Johnny, and inviting him in, and making sure that he's, he feels welcome, making sure he feels uh, loved by the group. Maybe even suggest going to watch a football game together. From that, I can then choose a response. What am I going to do? And I hope I will make the decision of, I'll go invite Johnny in and we'll go watch Northern Ireland in the Euros and not do very well. <laughs> but that's the idea. It's something very subtle that this fear of the other actually causes in us. A segregation in the group, but taking a very simple thing. What is fear saying? What is God saying? And then what is my response going to be? Something a bit more... Uh, maybe uh, it caused a bit more tension, if I'm honest, the EU vote. Very, very divisive in this country. In fact, the whole campaign, on both sides, used fear quite a bit. They actually, it was almost purposely to divide the nation onto one camp or the other. So fear, fear of, uh, of the other tells me that there's an us mentality and a them mentality. So if I was in the Remain camp, everyone in the, the out camp are racists, they are uneducated, they're actually from socio-economic backgrounds that they, they, don't know, uh, they don't know what they're voting for, they've been misled by Boris Johnson, they've, they've been fed the lies. If I was in the Remain camp, I'm putting up borders of people... Well, if I'm in the Romanian camp, I'm putting up borders against the people who are perfectly within their rights to vote out. If I'm in the out camp, I'm looking at people going, they're not truly British. They're, uh, you know, what, what, why are they wanting to give uh, uh, Europe more power? We're Britain and we should stand up for that. They're not patriotic. And it caused such a division in the country that we saw, even in the backlash of it, like there is a lot of anger and a lot of pain over that divisive nature of, of, uh, of that vote. But what's God saying into this? What does God say when it comes to ruling powers? What does God say when it comes to democracy? And again, God's saying, hang on a second here, guys. You're... You're actually, you don't have a, a, a spirit that makes you a slave to that fear. You have a spirit that makes you a son of God. And earthly powers are one thing, but actually I have sovereign power. And just because you disagree with someone doesn't mean that you can, you know, get angry at them and call them all sorts of names. It doesn't mean that you can be divisive because guess what? Your neighbour voted the other way from you. And I've told you to love your neighbour. So at that point, I can then choose a, choose a, a response to it. And if I'm honest, I'll, I'll say it publicly, my view, I, I was really challenged when I started writing this talk over how I reacted 
throughout the whole referendum. I was one of those guys that was like abusing the other side, like going for it. And actually, looking through this, and when I was writing this talk, I was actually a bit ashamed of myself that I had allowed myself to 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 be taken over by the lies that are, I, I should be afraid of the other. So it's too late for my response to that. My response moving forward is that I can, I can now, on whatever camp people want, I can have an educated uh, discussion with them and we can happily disagree, but ultimately I'll love the person that's opposite me regardless of which their political persuasion. So this can be applied to so many different scenarios, you know, management versus employees. A them and us, basically anywhere where there's a them and us kind of feel to it. Management versus employees, or, you know, you're walking down a road and there's a, a bunch of youths with hoodies on. A them and us kind of feel. Uh, maybe you're a new kid in class, or there's a new person at work. This kind of fear of the other can be applied into so many different scenarios in really subtle ways actually but when we think about it we can actually give space for God to, to speak into it so can I encourage you to, to try this out think of your own scenarios take it home it doesn't even have to be about fear of the other it could be of any type of fear use it as a tool to work through use it with your kids if, if they're you know, going through something uh, uh, at, uh, at school that is about fear use it as a space to let God speak into that Give yourself the space to let God speak and react and choose, choose your action. That's the key thing of it. Choose your action uh, based on what God is saying, not what fear is saying. So let me just pray one last time. Um, and then I believe Freya and Dan are leading us uh, in a response. So God... Uh, we just thank you that, again, that we are not slaves to fear. We have not been given a, a, a spirit that makes us uh, enslaved again to fear. But actually, we've been given a, a, a spirit that makes us a child of you, God. 100% rooted in the love that you give us, that our identity is in you, God. So help us to take this concept, take this tool, and just uh, apply it into our own every day. And, and work through some situations and create some space, God, for you to speak. And we, we thank you, God, that you will speak to us uh, when we ask you. Amen.